Welcome back to the Healthcare Insight Podcast. I'm Eric Silberman. And I'm Jane Crosby. Thanks for joining us again. We're really excited about the, the interview this week. We got a chance to talk to Joe Polizzi, founder of the Content Marketing Institute, author, founder of Content Marketing World. Really good stuff. And you know, needless to say, content marketing's really close to our hearts and, and minds, um, Jane. Content marketing's a big driver, right? For revenue growth, engagement. I mean, it is it is pivotal in, in healthcare marketing to how we how we drive success both as a business and, and on behalf of our clients. And you know, we do the state of healthcare marketing, state of healthcare content marketing study every year. And the 2020 study showed, you know, double digit increase in how hospitals and health systems are using content marketing to exactly those ends. And Joe was instrumental in, you know, pioneering a lot of the principles that hospitals and health systems in True North are really, really kind of embedded in and optimizing. And we got to talk a lot about state of, of content marketing, including some really great kind of specific stuff. Yeah, it was great. And I, I really liked Joe's view on a couple of different things. One is this idea of honing in on the channels that will add the most value and be the most successful for you rather than trying to be a jack of all trades and doing a little bit of everything. And this idea that email marketing is really having a, a moment right now. And I think we're seeing that, Eric, across our work that email is performing so well as both a lead gen and a lead nurturing channel to grow relationships, maintain brand loyalty, and drive volumes at the very bottom of the funnel but I think in healthcare we're not quite leveraging it like we can and I think it's something that's important especially as social media continues to evolve Joe talks about this a little bit in our interview you know we don't know what those essentially rented channels are going to do we don't own our Facebook presence our Instagram presence and what we can control is the emails that we own our opted in subscriber list and how we treat them and nurture them and so you know I think in 2021 healthcare marketers should be really thinking about how to best leverage those audiences that are already engaged, have opted in to receive marketing and communications from our health system partners and work to deliver them really meaningful messages at the right time. I think it's really great. And it, it kind of makes me think about some of the great successes I'm seeing from some of our clients around um, campaign uh, and revenue growth generation and capturing elective volumes. You know, so much of that is about using rented channels, you know, as Joe would call them, to pull across individuals into engagement with great content, and then really serving up that kind of ongoing great content by capturing some opportunity to engage that is no longer rented, right? It's it's owned and gives the health system an opportunity to really start building that relationship once you've got them in the digital front door of, of the journey. Yeah, I agree. And it can seem like an unwieldy task to start leveraging email marketing at the level that we're kind of suggesting healthcare marketers do here. But there's a few different ways to think about it. One, if you have a good foundation of really, really great content that you can start deploying to your audience, and you think about your e-newsletter as the broadest, most kind of top of funnel email marketing strategy, followed then by your top service lines and how you nurture leads from HRAs, downloadable guides, other top of funnel touch points 
you can start to build a really great engine that's not necessarily all unique content. It's not necessarily one-off strategies for everything that you're doing. You'll find a lot of synergies in what you're doing overall. It's just building that foundation is going to take some time, but it'll definitely be worth it, I think. You know, it, it connects to another thing that the interview really has had me thinking about, which is this idea of not trying to be everywhere and, and really kind of focusing on a channel or a couple of a couple of key channels. And I got to I got to admit, it, it's a little dissonant for me. I understand it in principle. You know, it's like get good at the one thing and, and kind of build out from there. But man, if you're not in the channel, you know, how do you compete? or minimally, you know, find yourself on the receiving end of kind of the opportunities that are, that are swimming by. What, what's your take on that? I think it's smart. You know, I think there, I think there's some health systems and some, I guess, marketing organizations overall that have the bandwidth to put teams and individuals and resources around a wide variety of channels, but by and large budgets are lean, our teams are lean. And so honing in on the channels that will drive the most revenue is key. And then the other layer of that that Joe talked about was making sure that you're not trying to be everything to everyone. So when we think about a blog strategy, for example, oftentimes we're trying to appeal to anyone who might consume a service. Joe's view is maybe start small, maybe figure out how to be really, really strong in organic search results for just your OB and maternity audience and learn about how people are engaging with you, how to build a content strategy effectively and grow from there. I thought that piece of advice was really cool, thinking not only about the channels, but who we're reaching to and trying not to do too much at once. Great stuff and a really fun interview. I'm sure our listeners will enjoy it. Let's get into it. Our interview with Joe Polizzi. Joe Polizzi, thanks so much for joining us on the Healthcare Insight Podcast. It is, it is my pleasure, Eric. I appreciate the time and uh, glad we get a chance to talk a little bit. So author, speaker, godfather of content marketing, all of those things. We'd love to hear just a little bit kind of as an opener about, about you and maybe the Content Marketing Institute. Well, hey, I, I started in business to business publishing 20 years ago at a uh, publisher called Pet Media. And we focused on all kinds of verticals from construction to manufacturing. And I was lucky enough to fall into this little group called Pet and Custom Media and they did basically custom magazines for large B2B customers. I'm like, well, this is fantastic. And I grew to love the whole idea of, wow, these companies can actually tell their own stories, build their own audiences. I just thought that was the greatest thing instead of having to interrupt people and basically dedicated the rest of my career in the before 2010 on figuring out what is this whole thing called content marketing left Penton in 2007, decided to launch the Content Marketing Institute back then. It wasn't called Content Marketing Institute till 2010. You know, we did a, a few little pivots here and there and tried to make it work and then launched Content Marketing World in 2011, Chief Content Officer Magazine, built the whole media brand around it. Just realized that a lot of marketers out there had no clue and understanding of what content marketing was, actually very similar to today. <laughs> so, and lots of lots of work yet to be done. And since then, I uh, ended up selling. My wife and I owned the company. We sold in 2016. I left in the end of 2017. I've written seven books on marketing. I've written a mystery novel, and you know, just continue to try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's going on with uh, content creation and distribution. 
Well, good, good for you, and 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 great, great perspective. You know, I, you've offered a lot to the the field of content marketing, and as you know, you know, our business is really centered around content marketing for for healthcare. So, kind of a, a lot of wonderful overlap. I was looking at a presentation of yours on pivots for marketing leaders in light of the pandemic. One of the things that, that stood out to me that I loved was about kind of the great line and the focus of content energy. Talk to us about kind of what you're seeing in the, in the content marketing marketplace overall in that regard. Well, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. It's one of my favorite things to talk about now because what you have is anyone can, we know this, right? Anyone can publish, anyone can create any channel anywhere, start creating content, try to build an audience, try to, you know, distract people, I guess, if you want to call it that. At the same time, all the consumers out there can, can get any information they want. They can block certain sites. They can have access to anybody in the world who's creating content. So it's created this wild, wild west, if you will, of audience building. I really look at it right now as we're kind of in the, in the middle of the gold rush time where everybody's trying to build an audience. And the problem is, is that you get businesses out there in healthcare and everywhere else they're saying, wow, we, we have to take advantage of this opportunity. And somebody in the organization says, okay, we got to do the Twitter thing. We got to do the blog thing, the podcast thing. Let's do some events. For the love of God, we'll start a TikTok channel. You know, they're doing everything. And what happens is they become mediocre at best in every one of those channels. And they don't become great at one. And so I talk about this idea of every organization only has so much content energy. So we have to do is focus on being great at one or two channels. By the way, this is the way media companies have been doing it for hundreds of years. They focus, the New York Times started with an exceptional newspaper. Huffington Post said, we're gonna have the best blog. TED Talks says, we're gonna have this in-person event series. They all focused on doing one thing. Now, all of them are you know, fully diversified media companies now, but only started doing one thing great. So when I go in and talk to these billion dollar companies and, and talk to CMOs, I said, look, look at all this content you're creating that's absolutely having no impact on your customers and your audience at all. Why don't you do one really good thing and be great at that one, like one podcast or an amazing email newsletter or the most outstanding event series in your industry? Do that first. And then once you build that audience and you get a loyal following, then you can move on and start doing all the other stuff you want to do. So we're just our focus and time and energy is limited. We've got all kinds of competition out there that are doing amazing things as well. So we've got to focus on being great at one thing first. I love, I love the perspective. It, it kind of, if you don't mind me talking on the thread just a little, that it kind of begs this decision point, right? Like the inflection point in terms of distribution of audience that you want to speak to and what you're really good at. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you're an organization, is it is it just kind of putting those two things on the scale and, and deciding where it nets out? Or how, when you talk to organizations, how do you help them make the decision on what's the thing to be really great at? Well, the, the first thing is, is if you go in and you, you do this all the time where you look at a con, you do a content audit, right? Oh, what are you doing? What's working? What's not? Generally, what happens after you do a content audit is you realize all the things you need to stop doing. <laughs> right. Right. right? So that you could focus on doing something. So a lot of times it starts there. So if it's not a startup and it's a mature company, you really you kind of just have to figure out what are you doing? Oh my gosh, you've got 127 social media accounts and a hundred of those are just not even worth your time. Why are we wasting time? And who's doing this blog? And what's the point? 
do we have a goal behind it? All those types of things. We figure that out. But if you're just starting out, you're, you're trying to figure out, first of all, what, what is your sweet spot? So what's, who's the audience you're targeting? What's their informational or entertainment pain point? And then on the other side, you know, what do you, what's your expertise area? What's that knowledge of skill or you have something to say? And that's great. That's what you call the sweet spot. You start there, but no, what you have to do is take it one step further. You have to figure out, okay, we call it the content tilt. What's that area of differentiation from a content perspective that you can actually break through all that clutter? So we call it the tilt because you sort of have to tilt your head and look at that sweet spot a little bit different and say, okay, because somebody might say, all right, our sweet spot is cloud computing. And I would say, that's fantastic. You have 2000 competitors in the cloud computing space from a media standpoint. So then you get down to things like, okay, well, then we're looking at cloud computing for healthcare marketers, right? Then you're looking at cloud computing for healthcare marketers that live in, in India that, that work at companies of 10,000 people or more. That's the kind of things from an audience standpoint we're trying to get to. So you look at it, how do I close that window a little bit from an audience standpoint or from a story positioning standpoint? Something that you can have a different voice. And then you're saying, okay, now we can start communicating consistent, valuable, relevant content to that audience. And then we can build that audience. Once you do that, then you can go off and do all the other things. It's tough for a big company, Eric, because a big company could have 15, 20 different audience groups they're going after, but you can't do it all at once. You know, it's not like you could just say, oh, we're going to do an ad campaign to every one of those. You have to put in your time and energy and figure out what the audience's needs are first. So start with one, give it six to nine months, you know, learn from that audience, and then you can move on. One of the things I really wanted to dive into with you, Joe, is this idea that in healthcare, we know the audience, we know the value prop, at least in the acute care marketing space, often, especially in larger markets, there's a lot of competition. And I think, in my view, the biggest challenge is getting people to actually care about healthcare content, right? Like, in my house, we consume a lot of sports content, and we don't go to the doctor until we absolutely have to, and it better be easy. And I just want the doctor to tell me what I have to do next. How do you think that healthcare market can start to think about content in a way that gets people more interested in it to start building relationships higher up the funnel to drive revenue later. Because I think, especially in this post-COVID world, that's going to be really, really critical over the next few yep. months. No, it's a great point. I mean, the first thing is the opportunity on the healthcare side is we've seen the whole misinformation thing happen. And that means trust gets closer to the hospital network or the healthcare provider. So that's an opportunity, I think, because when you have people out there not believing anybody, but they would believe their physician or their hospital network, I think there's an opportunity there. I think to answer your question, this is, and I'm not, you know, I can talk healthcare marketing, you're in it all day long. But from what I see, a lot of the businesses in the healthcare market are way too broad with their content. It's just like, if, if I go to, and I don't want to, I'm not going to hit on WebMD or anything like that. But when I go to a site like that, then you say, okay, there's that blog post. I've already seen that blog post at that hospital network and that hospital network and that uh, manufacturer of hospital equipment. And I'm like, geez, no wonder the people in your household don't care about healthcare because it's all the same and it doesn't make an impact. But let me, so let me give you an example. Let's say you were talking about, you mentioned sports. What if you were really focused on sports injuries and you then not even sports injuries, but injuries from skiing or tennis or, and you get really, really focused. So if you have somebody that's a skier or a, a let's say I'm a golfer, 
I absolutely would subscribe to something that talks about, you know, now that I'm getting a little bit older, I got to take care of myself. I don't want to, if I get any little pain in my shoulder or my leg or my arm, I'm probably not golfing. So I've got to do little stretches or to do things that are going to make sure that I can play golf for another 30 or 40 years. So that's how I would really focus on being specific. And almost like Kevin Kelly says, you find your, is a thousand true fans. Don't focus on boiling the ocean. Be great to one small group of people first. And I would rather see if in this case, let's say we're talking a hospital network for you to almost be like a Huffington post ultimately where you have 400 and 500 different content initiatives targeting very small groups of people than just one large one that really nobody's going to pay attention to. It's great perspective. You know, we we got the opportunity to talk to some of the folks from from Cleveland Clinic, and Amanda Todorovich was was talking about this this exact thing. You know, the idea of trying to really serve up content to an individual in their moment of need around that specific service line, which I think connects to to what you're talking about of having you know four or five hundred individual initiatives that are about reaching people at a specific moment of need. And I think there's some differentiation there. I think it, it ladders. Oh, I think there is true. And by the way, you could choose. You don't have to do everything. You could choose and say, okay, well, at this point in the journey, that's what we're going to be great at. Instead of, and, but it's tough, right? You want to say, oh, I want to be great at every moment of the journey. Whenever they're making a decision, we want to have content there. That's unrealistic. You're never going to make that happen. The journey's continually changing. Just find one little spot that you could be awesome at. And then, and then you'll go from there and see what happens. It's really interesting perspective. One of the things I'm interested in tugging at just a little bit more is the format piece. So when you think about direct-to-consumer marketing, what are you seeing as kind of the next big thing? Is it going to continue to be blog content? Is audio content headed in a direction that will really take off? Or what do you think healthcare marketers should be really caring about right now? Well, my, my answer is yes. It's an easy one because they're all <laughs> there's opportunities in every one, even print, in my opinion. The, the challenge is, is that you're going to have to ultimately choose. Now, a side note is huge growth in email right now with what's happened with social media where you get certain people here or there getting kicked off. You get a lot of people that are finally realizing that social media channels are rented channels that we do not control our connections, our followers, our data on those channels. And you're seeing a lot of people say, oh, well, we have to focus on our own channels. Like maybe we should start a, our email newsletter or a print program. So that is a right heat of the moment issue where you've got a lot of people move in that direction. What I think is the smartest thing to do realizing this, by the, I mean, you could be successful in a, in a rented channel like a TikTok or an Instagram. You could do any of them as long as you follow the process. So focus on one, if you're starting out, Focus on one content type in one channel, consistently deliver over a long period of time. That's the model. Bake in 12, 15 months, and you probably have built yourself a significant audience. Now, if you build that audience on a social media channel, let's say like an Instagram, you have to have the rent to own mentality where ultimately you've built that audience on a rented channel and you want to move that over to something that gets you an email address. Because who knows? That's not you are on Instagram, but that's not your data. That's you don't own that follower, that connection. Instagram does. They can do whatever they want. They can borrow you for life from it. They can change the algorithm tomorrow where you've got 200,000 followers, but then tomorrow nobody sees your stuff. I hate to say that because I have a lot of friends that have built amazing channels on Instagram and I don't want to see that happen, 
but let's just be honest. And we've seen it already happen on YouTube. You've seen it happen where YouTube changes their algorithm and you're, you've got somebody with a million followers that says, well, nobody saw my video today. Well, YouTube, Google, they can do, do whatever they want. They have so much power right now. So let's take a little bit of that power back, absolutely leverage those channels, but then focus on, on email. So I would say if I was starting something today, I'd probably say, boy, I'd really want to have a sound, consistent email newsletter. And I'd probably, once I did that, I would probably patch on a very exclusive or very niche podcast because I think audio content, it just keeps growing every year. There's still a huge opportunity for audio content. It's funny how during the lockdowns, we saw a dip in audio because nobody was commuting anymore and everybody was just looking at video, but now it's, we're seeing it come back. I would say email audio. And then of course, there's opportunities with any of the other ones if you focus on it. But if I'm looking at it, email and audio first. I'm really glad you brought that up. I feel really passionately that email is, is having a resurgence right now and we're seeing it really effective across our campaign strategies at True North and, and in the market seeing more and more systems and, and B2C organizations invest in email. I'm, I'm glad you brought up audio content too. One of the things I wanted to ask you about was where you see Clubhouse headed as a platform and if sure. you think there's an opportunity for B2C marketers to leverage that platform in any way as it opens up. Well, thank goodness we have another social media platform. I mean, we were all concerned that we didn't have enough. And here comes Clubhouse. First of all, if you're not familiar with Clubhouse, it's almost it's like audio social media. You go into a group, there's generally a group leader, and then you join that. It's almost like you're listening in on a, on a live podcast, if you will. It seems to be you've got a lot of tech investors, angel investors, a lot of side hustle people, a lot of tech marketers getting in there right now. And you, so you have some, they're dominating the conversation. So right now, if you were to join, you'd probably have to search if you're looking for healthcare marketers, you'd have to search. But once you find people to follow, then it's, it actually starts to make some sense. I could see something happening. I, I believe in it for certain groups of people I wouldn't put a lot of money on it that in three years, it's going to be this boom thing. I think it's going to still be a thing. I would, personally, I would rather focus on an amazing podcast, but that doesn't mean that Clubhouse can't be a distribution option for, you know, being a leading expert. So let's say that you're a healthcare marketer. Let's get something tangible. And you're like, okay, what do we do with Clubhouse? If you have somebody that you can, you know, a person, that you could build your brand around that's really an expert that can have these little community sessions and bring people on board, then you've got an opportunity. Somebody that's really good at public speaking, somebody that, that has a lot of good insight into what's going on in the marketplace, great. Have them go test out Clubhouse, see if it works for them. But right now, I don't know, even though you've got brands like Social Media Examiner that have done a pretty good job as a brand, I sort of like the individual approach to Clubhouse right now, almost like you would look at LinkedIn. Maybe that will change, but right now I'd say, get your, get your thought leader, get your, your visible brand expert out there, have them test it out if you want. Don't spend too much crazy time on it and see if it works. You know, Give it a month or two if it does, great. If not, I would, I would move on. I'm not, so that's a long, a long answer to, I'm not sure yet. I love the take on audio content. 
it's a little bit strange how you've got some of these side hustle people that have taken over a lot of these groups right now, but we'll see where it goes. I agree. I think it's a little strange. I think, you know, the other challenge to it is that at least in its current state, my understanding is that you have to be in the conversation at the moment it's going on where a podcast, you can listen to it at any time. And so I think there's a lot more opportunity to connect with people when it's convenient for them through a podcast and yep. convenience is becoming even, even more important, at least in healthcare marketing. And I think across, across industries too. Yeah. I mean, you could like, you could also look at a podcast and a Slack or a discord group that would kind of say, okay, well, here, here's our podcast. that's not live, but here's our community. That's always working and always live. And so that's where, I mean, by the way, then you could get real complicated and say, okay, if you have loyal members of your podcast, you could say, okay, loyal members that do X, Y, Z can have access to our exclusive discord group or Slack group or something like that. So there's lots of things that you can do to build community that don't have to necessarily be on, on a clubhouse app. Many of our listeners have a lot of interest in professional development. I'd love to just kind of switch gears for a second and ask you about some of your go-to resources or, or some things that maybe you would point the um, newer content marketer to, to, to really kind of come up to speed and, and jumpstart their perspective on content marketing. Well, I probably should say Content Marketing Institute would be a good place to go if you're looking at, at content marketing. If you are a larger brand. Robert Rose and I wrote a book a few years ago called Killing Marketing. That's very much for, for figuring out how you change the culture and optimize a revenue-based content marketing model. So that was written in 2017. My whole focus right now for the most part is on entrepreneurs, on small companies. So my, my new book comes out in May called Content Inc., second version of Content Inc. That's all about how a small company can leverage content marketing. But how I learn right now and how I keep up because Robert Rose and I have a weekly podcast called This Old Marketing. So we have to cover the news every week. I do that through Twitter. So I'm a big focus, just like I'm talking about right now, instead of looking on Facebook and on LinkedIn and Clubhouse and everything else, I really follow the people that I believe are worth following on Twitter. And I have my own stream of here's where I get my news from. So I follow Simon Owens. I follow Sarah Fisher from Axios. I follow Professor Scott Galloway from um, Stern School of Business. By the way, Prof G podcast is fantastic. I highly recommend it to anyone. So those are kind of the people that I, I look and follow and make sure that I'm, I'm keeping up on, on the latest. It's, most of the people that I follow actually are media folks because if you understand the basics of media, me, the media and the marketing model, Eric, as you know, it, they're the same. It just depends on what the revenue outputs are. So if you're creating an audience, you can create an audience as a healthcare brand, or you can create an audience as a healthcare media company. The healthcare media company might monetize that through subscriptions or sponsorship. The healthcare marketing company might, might monetize that through more patient visits. Right. Same thing. No right. difference. It's just, you know, how are you going to revenue, how to create revenue streams from it? It's great. And you, you hit a couple of kind of opportunities for me to follow some new content that, that, that I'm not already, you know, you've, you've written a lot of business books. You've been deep in content marketing for 25 years, you know, oh, geez, don't remind me. Anyway, <laughs> I'm thinking about the shit you, so you recently put out a novel, The Will I to did. Die. Yes. And I'd love to hear about kind of the, like, so, so is this the, the book that's always been kind of waiting to get out and you just needed some time or is it a, a shit? Like, talk to us about the, the journey to will to die. 
Oh, geez. I hope your audience wants to hear that. I'll give you the short version of how all this happened. So I, I always had the goal to, to start a business and sell it. Of course, we did that with Content Marketing Institute. And in 2018, I took a full year sabbatical. So 12 months, first 30 days was a social media cleanse. So I got off social media altogether. And then the rest of the time, you know, spent with the family. I read a lot of books, did a lot of puzzles. We did a lot of traveling, all the, those types of things. By the end of 2018, I don't know when the conversation came up, but I think I asked my wife, I said, I said, Pam, her name, I said, why have you never read any of my books? So I've, I've read, up to that point, I wrote six business books. And she said, if you ever write something interesting, I'll read it. So, I mean, that sort of hits home, right? <laughs> like, okay. So I, and she loved mysteries and thrillers. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a mystery, a thriller book for you. And she said, whatever. And she just went on, you know how it's just like, she just ignores you. Like she probably should. Cause you're just, you don't know. You get, oh, hey, I'm going to write a thriller. So I started tinkering around fits and starts had, had something I thought was great. It was actually terrible. Went through a whole few things by the end of 2019. So about a year later, I actually had a finished manuscript for The Will to Die. And it was a mystery thriller about a marketing agency executive that runs his own small agency that his father passes away and has to go take over his funeral home business. So that's, and there's murder and mayhem and mischief and all kinds of stuff that happens around that in small town USA. And I uh, released it first initially in audio and then in the in March of 2020, which is really weird for, with all this timing, but before all the lockdowns, we had the book launch party. So March of 2020, it was launched in print and in the digital format. It won a couple of awards. It hit a couple of Amazon bestseller lists. So that was fantastic. And then I was full, Rick, I was fully planning on be, just becoming a novelist. Like, I'm like, okay, I yeah. did the business thing. I'm done. I'm going to do the novel stuff. And then COVID-19 happened, all the lockdowns. I started to get a bunch of people reaching out to me who, who'd lost their jobs about the Content Inc. model, which is how do you as a small company or an individual, how do you start your own, build your own audience? And then how do you monetize that audience, which is the Content Inc. model. And the Content Inc., that book was written in 2015. So I'm like, what is going on? It's an old book. But I started to get so many emails and direct messages and whatever. I said, maybe there's something here. And it, because of the climate, it's sort of made a, made a comeback. And then my publisher reached out to me and said, do you want to do a second version of it? I said, okay. So May, there's a second version of it. And I started up a newsletter called the Random Newsletter. I started my Content Inc. podcast back up. We went back weekly on this old marketing. So here I am, you know, they keep pulling me back in. I'm back in the marketing field yeah. doing my thing. And, and, uh, and it's just, you know, I might write another novel, but right now it just feels like I can help more people with this model right now, just because there's entrepreneurship is just going gangbusters. And there's so many, I want to say kids, which is, it's more than kids, but they're creating all these amazing audiences, but they don't know how to put a business model around it, which is sure. what I'm trying to teach with, with the content Inc. model. So there, well, there, there's a long answer to your, no. tell me about the novel, Joe. No, no, it's good. It's good. And I actually, I've got a, I've got a follow on if, if, if you're comfortable with it and, and answer it however you like. But, you know, I was thinking about, you've been very successful in, in business and, you know, 
so many of us, so many people out there are so focused on the kind of striving of success in business. So you, you mentioned specifically, you had that moment in time where you'd had your goal, you'd achieved it, and then you like focused on some completely non-business stuff before we drew you back into entrepreneurship. So, you know, on the other side of that experience, what do you want people to know or what can we learn from what it's like to come out on the other side and have that kind of open road view to really focus on the things that were important to you? Yeah. Wow. I've, you know, the sabbatical was probably taking the year off was an, first of all, it's an, and I, I understand this. It's an opportunity that a lot of people don't, can't do. I mean, who, who could take a year off? I mean, I don't know a lot of people that could, but, but then I always say, take a sabbatical, take a weekend, take a week, you know, take something could be your sabbatical so that you can do a reset. And that's all I was trying to do is doing a reset and trying to figure out what's important. Like, and through that, we came out with, you know, we have a foundation called orange effect foundation where we deliver grants to kids that need speech therapy and can't afford it. So we were okay. Coming out of that, we were more focused on that than ever before. I've got two now teenage boys and I said, okay, I've got to find more time to spend with them. So that's important and figure out how I can have, you know, many dates with my wife. How do I figure out those things and spend more time with my parents? So those, you know, it resets and say, okay, what's really important. And you figure out, you know, it's family, it's giving, it's figuring out what talent you have, whatever that may be to, you know, I don't want to get all existential, but just how, how do you create a better society from the few skills that you may have? So that's kind of where I'm at now. And the big takeaway for me is a few big goals, but not 20. Like, I don't know. Do you know Warren Buffett's 25-5 strategy? Are you familiar with that? I don't. Okay. So basically, I, there's a lot of goal-setting strategies. I've used many of them throughout the last 25 years. But I like Warren Buffett's 25-5. So basically, what you do is you write down 25 things you want to accomplish. You pick the top five. You do the top five that year, and then you forget the other 20. Like literally forget it, never work on it. And so as I've been getting into a lot of conversations with people about side hustles, about focus, about goal setting, you can only do so much. Same thing with content marketing, only make an impact in so many areas. So I write down, okay, what's the one thing I want to do from a, from a philanthropic standpoint? So I'll focus on that. What's the one thing I want to do for my family this year? What's the one thing I need to do for my career this year? And I write those down and then I review them every morning. And that's the key, right? You write it down so you can actually believe it and read it. And then you have to remind yourself, like, I don't know if you're friends or if you're fans of the show, Ted Lasso, which is on Apple TV. Okay. I love that show. Maybe my favorite show of all time, Ted Lasso. But as you know, as he walks into every room of his house, he has a thing that says, believe on it. That stuff is so important. You have to remind yourself because you're just a human. You're like, what impact can you make? But then you're like, if you read this every day, you actually start to believe it. You kind of believe your own BS and you're like, oh, maybe I can do that. And then you start seeing the progress. Oh, maybe I will do that. Because when when we started, when I started, uh, launched the business, I left a six-figure job at Penton Media, launched what became Content Marketing Institute. I remember the first year I wrote down, it's like, I want to sell my company whatever it is in 2015 for X amount of millions of dollars. And if you look at that 2008, you said, that's the most ridiculous, audacious thing you'd ever see. Like this, like what, who are you? You have no money. You have no 
career. You have no, uh, nobody knows who you are, but I read that thing every day. And after, you know, a while you start to believe it. And then those things just happen to come true. So I'm a big believer in setting some goals. So that's my takeaway. Focus on you know, what you can really accomplish to make the world a better place, but only do four or five things. Focus on that, get those done, review them every day. And then I use things like a habit bull, habitbull.com. So there's an app. So I keep track of things, how many times you do certain things. So I'm a runner. So did I run today? I'm a, I like to make sure I read 20 minutes a day. Did I read today? I keep track of these things so that I know how, how I'm doing. And the more I build up, the more that I won't stop doing it. Because if I've run for 10 days in a row, oh, I got to run today. I don't want to break the string. So I'm that kind of obsessive compulsive personality. It just seems to work for me. Focus, belief, and intentionality. I love it. It's that's, good stuff. That's all we got, man. <laughs> Joe Polizzi, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Any, anytime. Thanks for having me.